Thank you, choir, so much for that. Thank you, Jeremy and Allison. Uh, folks, I have this great opportunity to introduce to you this morning the person giving the message, a dear friend of mine, a uh, member lifetime of this church, a person who's uh, led worship here through music, led worship here with her voice, led worship here from a guitar, from a piano, um, at a gymnasium across town, a, uh, a university student, a studier of the word, and now bringing you the message this morning, dear friend of mine, Tess Martins. Thank you. Thank you, Mitch. Good morning. Like Mitch said, my name is Tess Martins, and I am have been attending this church all 21 years of my life. And if you haven't been around all 21 years of those, many of you have, I showed, found some pictures for context. <laughs> These are my greatest hits from the Christmas pageant. As you can see, I was the, the coolest shepherd there ever was. <laughs> uh, and then I, angel number eight. There must have been something in that head, in that halo I was allergic to. I just sneezed all night long. Every picture my mom has of me, I'm rubbing my nose, but still fun nonetheless. Uh, I was baptized here. I was confirmed here. I celebrated my graduation from high school here. This church has been walking with me faithfully through every season of my life, even the one I'm currently in. I grew up attending church every Sunday, begging my parents to let me come to Big Kid Church just to promptly be asked to be excused to the restroom as soon as the sermon started and sat in there the whole time. Um, but as I got old enough, I started to attend youth group programming. I went on mission trips, I attended lock-ins, and I attended a summer camp with them. And it was in middle school at the summer camp, I met some people who had a relationship with God that was more intimate than I had witnessed in life that far. And I didn't know much, but I knew I wanted what they had. So when I returned home from summer camp that year, I got some of my buddies together who wanted the same thing, and we started a girls' Bible study. And it was in that group that I learned a lot of the spiritual disciplines that are still the foundation of my faith today. I learned how to study the scriptures for myself, how to intercede in prayer for the people that I loved. And then in 2020, I graduated from high school, and I will be at the door accepting your condolences after this service is over. Um, but in 2020, I graduated high school, and I moved out of my parents' house, and I moved to college and lived by myself. Okay. Okay, Dad, seriously. Oh, man. And after a shaky few first months, uh, I finally found my groove at college, and I met some people on campus that were working for a campus ministry called The Navigators, you might be familiar. And I started meeting up one-on-one -on -one with a staff member named Chloe, and it was then that I was in relationship of one-on-one -on -one biblical discipleship for the first time. Um, we met together, and we continued to read the Bible, we confessed sin, we fast together, we share the gospel on campus, and honestly, we just have a lot of fun. Uh, this photo is from our spring break trip that we took this summer, or this spring, to Colorado Springs. It was really fun. Back in junior high, when I attended that summer camp, and I met those people I mentioned before, my number one question was, what do they know that I don't know? Do they read the Bible more than me? Do they serve more humbly than I do? Do they have more history with God than I do? And in hindsight, I know the answer to every single one of those questions was yes, absolutely. 
But even more as I grow, I know that the reason those people had intimate relationships with Jesus is because they were aware of and they cared about the Holy Spirit. As soon as I began to notice the Holy Spirit at work in my life, I also grew in intimacy with Jesus like I had never had before. He changed my heart. He changed the way that I think. He changed the way that I talk. He changed the way that I see the world. So I'm here this morning to talk about the Holy Spirit, which is really exciting. Um, And I'm specifically here to hopefully ask and answer the question, how can the Holy Spirit work in my life? And before we dive into the word, I want to say, if you're sitting there thinking, shouldn't there be a question before this? Shouldn't I know what the Holy Spirit is before I care about how he works in my life? And the answer to that is yes, and that question will be answered next week when Adam comes back. (laughs) But until then, we're still going to read a lot of the Hall of Fame passages from the Bible about the Holy Spirit that will hopefully begin to form a more vivid and personal picture of how the Holy Spirit works, and that third corner of the Trinity that I feel is really elusive and sometimes hard to grasp. By this point, I've digested quite a few sermons, and I always find it helpful to know where we're going. So I've compiled a little bit of a roadmap about where I'm going to take us today as we answer this question. Um, Today, when we answer the question, how does the Holy Spirit work in my life, we'll see that the Bible says it distributes gifts, comforts us, guides and teaches us, remains in us, and reveals God to us. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this community that supported me so faithfully throughout my life. I literally and figuratively would not be where I am right now without them. So I just thank you for the opportunity to come and share hopefully a little bit of what you've taught me and that it would speak to every person in the unique way that you intend for it to. Would you open our hearts to the reading of your word today? Would it teach us something new? Would it bring fresh revelation um, for the first time? Let the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Let it, be, let it be what you desire for this community to hear and to know. Amen. We're going to start uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's in this chapter that Paul, who is a disciple of Jesus, writes a letter to a church in Corinth um, about this first function of the Holy Spirit we're going to talk about, which is distributing gifts. So let's start reading in verse 4. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Every good gift is from God, including the abilities that he uniquely gave you to thrive and build up his people and his church. Part of the adventure of following Jesus is discovering where your spiritual gifts lie and making those available to God. 
under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, who gave you that gift of great faith or the power to perform miracles, we're all united under a common goal of making God's glory known to everyone everywhere. Apart from the Spirit who gave them to you, your gifts will frustrate you. Earlier in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul says that God has invited us into partnership with his Son through the gifts that we are given. I think that's just such a great honor. The Holy Spirit comforts us. In the Gospel of John, Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit in his last days on earth before he goes to the cross. And in chapter 14, starting in verse 25, he says, I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, this is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. The end result of the Holy Spirit in you is deep and lasting peace. The type of peace that Jesus is talking about in this verse is not worldly peace. If worldly peace is the absence of conflict, the peace that Jesus is talking about is the ever-present assurance that God is faithful and he will never leave you. I think it's a prayer that he loves to hear when we just ask, Holy Spirit, would you bring peace? Would you bring the peace that Jesus promises to give, which is different than anything we could get from this world? I think it's a prayer the Lord loves to answer. The Holy Spirit teaches and guides us. In that same passage of scripture from John chapter 14, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. So Jesus taught his disciples everything he knew while he was on earth. And I can imagine that when he says, I'm leaving, that would stir up some fears in the disciples. But while he reassures them he won't be with them in his earthly body, he's sending the Holy Spirit to guide them when they taught, shared the gospel, and even wrote the scriptures. I think this is a key reality for Christians today to accept as well. If we invite the Holy Spirit into our study of the Bible now, God will reveal himself to us just as he revealed himself to the original authors. If you've never done so, when you sit down to study the Bible, invite the Holy Spirit into your study with you. Ask him to show him something you might have never seen before. Jesus goes on to say in chapter 16 of John that the Holy Spirit will guide us to know what is right and wrong. Let's read starting in verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is, it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Holy Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
I'm so glad that Jesus clarifies this because I don't know about you, but sometimes it's difficult for me to discern from the spirit of truth and the spirit of me. Being able to discern what spirit is leading you is so important to the, a right relationship with God. The Holy Spirit will never contradict what the Father has already said through his word. And that's why it's so important to be tethered to the word of God. Because the more you know it, the more you will be able to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he's already heard from the Father. The Holy Spirit remains in us. Another oftentimes difficult reality of the Christian walk is that we spend our time on earth yearning for a place where there's no brokenness and there's no darkness. We live in unity with our creator in heaven. The Holy Spirit remains in us as reassurance and a promise that one day we will fully live in that reality. In the first chapter of Ephesians, Paul says this, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Because of what we now live in in the new covenant with Jesus interceding at the right hand of the Father, we can be sure that the Holy Spirit will never leave a true believer. But that isn't to say that our sin doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit and hinder our fellowship with the Lord. That's why it's so important to confess sin and be really comfortable with the idea of how dependent we are on the gift of the Holy Spirit to be in right relationship with God. The most beautiful picture of this dependence that I see in the Bible is at the end of Romans 7 and then the very first verse of Romans 8. Paul wraps up Romans 7 like this. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And in the beginning of the very next chapter, we see the beautiful redemption. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him... The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I have been in Paul's shoes to say, why do I know what I want to do, but I can't seem to do it? Oh, it's because you were never meant to do that in your own strength, but rather through the Holy Spirit that lives in you and strengthens you. Lastly, the Holy Spirit reveals God to us. When Jesus is tested in the wilderness by the devil, he quotes the Old Testament in Matthew 4.4 when he said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Greek translation of the word word is rema, which literally means an utterance, or in this case, the here and now voice of God. Not the thousands of years ago voice of God, but the here in my time presently speaking to my situation voice of God. In Luke 12, 12, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. The here and now voice of God by way of the Holy Spirit will reveal the will of God to you. If you just ask, just ask. This is 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 10 through 12. But it was to us that God revealed these things by the Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. 
And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. If you spend time in churches or just in Christian community, you've probably heard the question posed like this. How do I walk in the spirit? And if I simplify that question, it's how do I walk? Which seems like a silly question. By the grace of God, children grow up and they learn to walk. If you have children yourself, you probably remember when they were learning to walk. They probably started slowly taking small, shaky steps from the arms of one person into the arms of another. And as they started to gain confidence, they probably fell down. There was probably a scrape or a tear or two. But they kept getting back up again and again. And soon they were asking to get out of the stroller more, to take their own steps at the park. And then even sooner, they're running with their team at a Parks and Rec soccer league. And no, maybe your child has grown. And the reality of them knowing how to walk isn't even of conscious knowledge to you. I think our walk with the Spirit is very similar to this. When you repent and turn away from sin and towards God and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit and you're spiritually reborn. And it's then that you learn how to walk, but this time with the Holy Spirit as your guide and your Father in Heaven as your parents. It might start slowly, with shaky, small steps of faith that don't seem like much, but the Lord loves those small steps of faith as you're learning. He sees them. And you might stumble and fall, but never stop getting back up. You'll have history soon. Soon you'll be running with a team of other believers towards the same goal, under the same mission to make Christ known in your classroom, in your office, on your street, to every tribe and tongue. When you have history with the Lord, walking with him isn't something you have to think about. You just do. The truth is, and the reason why I think this question of how do I walk in the spirit is a bit of a rhetorical one, is that walking in the spirit is an inevitable development of the Christian life. You can't resist the Holy Spirit. He's an all-consuming fire that's jealous for every part of you. I think instead of asking the question of how it is we walk in the Spirit, I think the more pressing question is, do I know the Spirit? Have I asked for the Holy Spirit to come and bring everything that he promises to bring in his word? Am I ready for that? Because once you do, there's no going back. It's a beautiful adventure that you go on, guided by the Holy Spirit in your heart, who's informed by the Father in heaven who loves you so much that he sent his Son die on the cross and pay the price for your sins. The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Lives in you. You've probably already heard his voice. Take a deep breath and ask the Father what he thinks of you. Let him renew your mind and believe what he believes. I had a hard time writing this. And many times as I wrote it, I thought, well, I would know what song to sing to convey that point, or I would know what chord progression to use, but words were difficult, because if, if anything, I want to convey one thing very clearly. The Spirit of Jesus in my heart changed my life. And when I think about an illustration to describe this, I think about an action movie where two superheroes are about to engage in battle. 
but one is very obviously stronger than the other, like a feet different. And the bigger superhero comes up to the little one and he just bends down like this and he just flicks him right between the eyes. And you see him fly backwards and then he's 10 walls behind you and all you can see is the outline of his body and he's just sitting back there. <laughs> this is what happened to me when I brought my meager offering of what love I thought I had for God and gave it to him. And he just overwhelmed me with the love he has for me. I'm overwhelmed. I treat my friends differently. I'm slower to anger and I'm quicker to listen. I don't desire the same patterns of sin that I did before I knew Jesus like I do. And I want nothing more than for every single one of you to know and witness the power and love of God in real life here and now. If you've heard me say anything this morning and you've wondered, even for a second, if you have this Holy Spirit that we've been talking about, if you've wondered even for a second, could I experience the promises of the Bible that we've read today? You can. You can. And today we're going to take some time in prayer that you can make that decision, that decision to invite the Spirit of God to live in you. It can be made right here while you sit in your seat. Close your eyes and see Jesus. Turn away from the brokenness of this world and accept your inheritance. Right standing with God and the Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead living in you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the gift of your Holy Spirit and all the wonderful things you've promised that it will do. Thank you for the way that it reminds us that we will not live apart from you forever, but that you're coming back. And soon we'll be able to live in harmony with you in heaven. Thank you for the peace that the Holy Spirit gives and that it's unexplainable to us. May we have that peace and may we exhibit it to others so much that they ask, where did you get this peace from? It doesn't make any sense to me. So that we can say, I know, I know the God who has the power to raise life from dead. May we walk out of this room and carry your holiness with us. Will we be broken jars that reflect your glory through the cracks? Thank you for the gift of your son and what he did and how it's changed everything. Everything. We love you and we do everything to glorify you. Every good gift that you've given will go back to you. We thank you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that's changing hearts in this room right now.